everybody. This is Shane Douglas Keene. I am here tonight with Laurel Hightower and Rich Duncan, as usual, and we are joined by the amazing Lisa Quigley. I almost said almost said Lizzie Quisa, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about that Shamrock Silver thing anymore, Laurel. <laughs> Uh, Lisa is the author of the Rewind or Die uh, entry, or that of the entry in the Rewind or Die series, uh, Hell's Bells, which we'll be talking some about. Um, she is one half of the Ladies of the Fright podcast, which is amazing. And if you're not listening to it, uh, you desperately need to unfuck that. Um, we're talking to Lisa tonight. We'll have Mackenzie, her partner, in the next few months. And also, Mackenzie's dad is going to join us for a full set. So, uh, Lisa, uh, Lizzie, rather, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, for those who don't, who don't know anything about you, uh, give us a little bit of a new kid at school spiel. Well, well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Um, I, I think you covered a lot of it. I, like you said, I am, am one half of Ladies of the Fright. Mackenzie and I started the podcast back in the beginning of 2018. It was like a way to, we kind of saw it as a way to just keep in touch with each other and have a project and didn't really anticipate that anyone would <laughs> listen to it and then people did and that was really awesome so it's been really fun doing that the last few years and then um I like you said I wrote Hell's Bells and I have another book coming out in 2021 and I'm a mom I live in New Jersey um yeah I got an MFA from UCR Palm Desert so that was a really fun experience in my life um but yeah that's that's all the big stuff if if you don't know me um yeah so uh speaking of mom you're a mom twice over now is that correct that is correct so I was actually thinking about that today about how long we've actually tried to make this happen (laughs) (laughs) And I was telling my husband, I was like, you know, the first time we scheduled this, I was not even thinking and schedule it for like September 5th. And then I had to reach out to you, Shane, and be like, um, I'm actually due for, to have my second baby on the 28th, or, you know, around there. I was like, I don't know that this is actually going to be a good time, but it would have been amazing because it was Freddie Mercury's birthday. So I love that that was like our original, yeah, mm-hmm. our original day. And then it just, you know, we tried again and then I had to kind of wait till I was getting her sleeping regularly, which thankfully she's doing now. So, good, good. oh, thank God. That's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> That's the hardest part, but um, yeah, so I have a son who's three and a half, and then my daughter's, um, she's almost five months now, so which I can't believe that, but yeah, having a baby in a pandemic is pretty wild. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ, yeah. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and we found out, we were just talking over the holidays, we found out that we were pregnant, uh, it was like the day before Christmas Eve last year, so it was way before well not way before obviously like a month and a half later shit got real but um 
we, you know, we had no idea this was about to happen. Um, so yeah. <laughs> How could you? Yeah, obviously. And then, by that point, you're already on the roller coaster. So you know, I know you got like, to okay. kind of ride it to the top. <laughs> it's like this is gonna be interesting. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah. In some really weird, like, and I hate to romanticize any part of the pandemic because it's all horrible, but in some weird ways, I work for a university and my job went remote in March and I've been, I'm still remote and I do communications, so we're probably not going to be going back until this is solved, which who knows when that'll be. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So in a very bizarre way. I, I do appreciate that even though I'm back to work, I'm home with my baby girl and I don't have to put her in daycare yet. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just appreciate that that kind of worked out that way. Um, so, but, yeah. you know, I would way rather the pandemic not be happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, it's, it, it's, it really is okay to like enjoy that part of it. You yeah. know, like in, <laughs> it's, uh, my son had been in daycare for um, almost two years at the time that, this all happened and he's been home since March. And it's like, that is not easy, you know, cause my right. husband and I are both working from home full time, but it's time that I would never have gotten with him. And I was always struggling before trying to like find more ways to see him and like more hours. And I'm like, well, I got what I wanted now. So I know yeah. <laughs> it's like this double edged sword. It's like, uh, yep. but, but it is not, it is nice. And um, it's nice that, that it worked that the way my job is structured works out. So even though I have to take breaks to feed her and stuff like that, um, I am able to, you know, work through her naps or sit her next to me and do my job. You know, it's, it's been a weird, um, positive of it, I guess. And, and so I'm just trying to at least like enjoy the fact that I can have my little infant home with me and still, make money (laughs) so (laughs) it's it's yeah it's been but yeah on top of it there's just a lot but the weird part is too a lot of family hasn't gotten to meet her or see her very much and so there's that sad kind of thing too but it's just all pretty wild child will grow up knowing exactly what a zoom call is oh my god yeah (laughs) so bizarre it's pretty funny how quick we all got used to it although I did see someone tweet something the other day like after a whole year of I think it was Jessica Guest she's like after a whole year of this people still can't figure out not to mute them or to mute them not to mute themselves like you know when you log in and like everyone's talking and they're like can you please mute your yeah (laughs) it's like We've been doing this for a year now, people. (laughs) (laughs) I forget what event we were doing that we had that issue. It's like, uh, could you fuckers mute your mics, please? We don't need all hundred of you speaking to us at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Or like you hear that one person in the the background and it's like the toilet flushes or something. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody forgot to mute them. So I'm like always terrified something horrible. Like I'll forget something or. Yeah. 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 I told, I told uh, Laurel and Rich and one of our guests that I loved them a while back. So I understand the (laughs) microphone thing. Like I'm talking to, talking to my wife. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. they're like oh thanks yep. 
come back on. Laurel says, we love you too, Shane. It's like, oh, <laughs> <fuck>. <laughs> would have been more awkward if no one told you we'd heard that whole exchange. That would have just. Right. Been <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, then I wouldn't have went back and cut it out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and on top of dealing with all of that, Lisa, I, I think I saw recently that you were you had started writing again. Have you been able to like carve some time out for yourself for that? Yeah, uh, this last year was so weird. Um, obviously, I mean that weird is like not even the word for it. But um, last year was rough in a lot of ways, and I turned in my novel or novella edits. I think it was like January. February, March, somewhere around there. Um, And then it was like, I just felt empty. I just had no ideas or I felt like I had no ideas. And I just had this almost like paralysis, I feel like, because I had turned in my first thing that was going to be published. Mm. Uh, Not like I've had short stories published, but this was going to be my first standalone book. And I then, you know, on top of what was happening in the world, it was almost just like I felt this paralysis, like, am I going to be able to ever do that again? (laughs) And um, I I, I don't know, I think I just had to reckon with that and work through that throughout the year. And not to mention, you know, I was pregnant, so I had no energy and we moved into a new house and then there was everything happening in the world. And I just really felt unable to write anything which isn't completely true because I pretty much journaled almost every day um so it just was I just wasn't writing any fiction and uh but I would just kind of like journal myself through it um and I was actually pulling tarot cards every day and journaling about that so it was like not I wasn't doing nothing but it, it I just was in this very weird headspace um where I was really worried I would never be able to write fiction ever again but I was like no I know that's not true I'm just I just need to kind of this is a heavy year there's a lot going on and then um it was very weird it was like the end of October I I actually got an idea out of nowhere and I pitched it to um Eddie at Unnerving um and it's not like he didn't like say he would take the book, but he accepted the pitch, which means I can write the book and he'll look at it. Um, but and then all of a sudden I just have this whole and it was like as soon as I got that idea and sent him the pitch, it was like suddenly I had the whole book and it was just there after this almost an entire year <laughs> of of not writing. So I've been doing that. But one thing is that my baby wakes up. At, I was I think we were talking about this, Laurel, on. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. On Twitter, I she wakes up at 5.30 to nurse, and I so I feed her, and then she, it's really, she's up for like 25 minutes, and then she just goes right back to sleep for at least another hour, so I've just, I'm like, well, I'm already awake, and both of my kids are sleeping, <laughs> so I just get some coffee, and I write, I use that time to write, and um, it's been really awesome. I feel like my resistance is really low that early. I've got hot coffee, my kids are sleeping. And I've just been, like, sometimes I'll feel like, oh, I don't feel like it. But I just am like, if I just open, I just tell myself, I just have to open it, open the laptop, um, open the document, 
and I can type two words if I want, you know, and of course that's not, that's not what happens. It's like, no. sometimes it's just opening the document. Mm-hmm. And I also use this method um, when I write uh, kind of, well, not really modified. It's, um, it's called the kitchen timer method when I have my writing sessions, which I picked up from um, <laughs> of all places, Lauren Graham's memoir, where she actually like talks about her writing process. And she basically like the concept is you cut cut yourself off from the internet and then you just kind of write in this container so you can say okay I'm going to write for 30 minutes and no internet no phone I can listen to like ambient music whatever but then the added cool thing about it is you also have um you have your document that you're open that you're working on open and then you have a journal and so um whenever you know, I don't know if you get that feeling where you're writing and you get that urge to like go check Twitter or something. So instead of going to check Twitter, you move to the journal and uh, like you can just say, I don't feel like doing this. This is dumb. Why am I right? You know, you just write whatever. And then usually after like a minute of that, it's like, OK, I'm ready to go back. Or sometimes I'll if I'm having a problem with the actual document, I just will be like, okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to write in the scene. So I'll kind of brainstorm in the journal for a minute about the scene and that will like break that knot apart and then I can go back. And so I'll do that for whatever. And I set a timer. So it's either like 30 minutes or an hour, however much time I have. And I just make it like this container where I'm, I don't know, it's really helpful to me to to do it that way. But um, yeah, I'm almost done with it. And I started in November um, and I just pretty much only write for like 30 to 45 minutes in the, in the morning. And somehow I'm writing, I've almost written a whole novella doing that in a few months. So that's awesome. I know. Yeah, <laughs> cool. I like that idea too, the, especially the journaling thing. Cause I do that a lot. I get distracted by social media or a butterfly in the corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought that idea was cool too, um, because like you're kind of still using those same, you know, those same parts of your brain. Like you're still in that headspace for you know writing and like writing fiction. But like you said, even if you write in the journal and it's not fiction, you're still kind of in that same headspace. So you're always ready. Like if you know an idea strikes you or something like that. Yeah, and it's something about the way she wrote it out was like that going back and forth between the journal and the project, it was like using your boredom because you kind of get, you know, a lot of times what will happen is when I'm in the document, the official document, I'll get this pressure of like, oh, the next word has to be per, you know, you get in your head about it. And so. Um, or I just, I'm like, oh, I'm bored doing this or I don't know, you can psych yourself out with it. So just having that journal where I can go write whatever I want, it, it keeps, it's weird, but I find it really, really helpful. And, um, and part of the rule, you know, quote unquote, like there's no rules or whatever, but part of like the whole thing with this method is that even if you spent the entire time writing in your in the journal, that's considered a success. So you can't like judge if you spent more time in your document. It's just that you sat down to do it. And that kind of weirdly breaks apart the resistance I've I've found. And it's the only method that's like like in terms of like actually sitting down to write, um, 
and how I and how I write. It's the only kind of method that's worked really well for me to just always have that journal handy because I find that that's like so much more effective, obviously, than like taking a Twitter break because then I will probably never go back to the document because <laughs> I'll end up yeah. in a Twitter rabbit hole like an hour later. Right. And, um, we'll so, get pissed yeah. off at Tommy Lauren or something. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, I'm not usually this. Uh, I've just I feel like when that happened the other day, it I'm just like the filter is off. I'm just like <laughs> right, everyone. <laughs> that was me too. It's like you know, uh, I'm just gonna call every one of you motherfuckers exactly what you are. <laughs> Well, I, did, I really liked what Nick Day said, like, because I posted something about, God, just, you know, get back to writing, stop doom scrolling. And he was like, but have you seen the quality of the doom scrolling this week? I'm like, you know, right. you're right. <laughs> like, <laughs> sometimes. It's prime. Primo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's, I, I, I've been, that's always, I think all of us, I'm sure that's the it's the ever the you know the social media poll is that's I'm always fighting with myself with that and then always looking at my my report on my phone that says how much time I spent on my phone and how much time I spent on social media at the end of the day and like being like okay that feels like crap (laughs) yeah yeah I'd be scared to see mine (laughs) it's a full-time job apparently (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even need to look at mine. I know I'm on there way more than I'm doing anything else at all during yes, the day. It's and bad. Yeah. But then I but, tried to, well, this not, past it, week, I tried to give some grace because I was like, there's some crazy shit happening. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so. <laughs> it was kind of like us all going, you know what? Fuck the dry January. February is looking good. <laughs> you might just have to say like dry January 2022. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. Try again. <laughs> well, I kept saying all throughout 2020, like you know what, fix yourself year, then I'll start fixing myself. Like you go <laughs> yeah. first. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I said the other day. Fuck it. It's a good day to embrace your alcohol alcoholism and burn them if you got them. Yeah. 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 Like. <laughs> This is not the day to, to or the week or <laughs> apparently the year already. <laughs> so let's talk about um, since we're talking about wonderful things, let's talk about uh, um, Hell's Bells because it's way more wonderful than any of this other <laughs> shit we're talking about. Uh, I too am a huge Freddie Mercury fan. Um, or I assume you are anyway. I definitely am. Um, I uh, wore black for six years after he died, basically. So oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was like my songwriting idol. But uh, it's an interesting, interesting how you pulled him into that book and how you started that book out. But uh, I wonder, um, I know there are some other underlying inspirations to some of the events in that book. And I wonder if you could talk some about the motivations for all, for all of it, just in general. Um, yeah. 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 So I, I do, I, I am also obsessed with Freddie, but 
Um, I did not. So I am definitely. I, <laughs> I always feel so awkward when I talk about this because I feel like so like I jumped on a bandwagon. But I did not really know much about him before the movie uh, came out. And my son was, I think, um, he was maybe like a year and a half. And my in-laws volunteered to babysit when we could, so that we could go to the movies, which was in the before times. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, uh, and my husband was like, oh, I want to see Bohemian Rhapsody. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I just want a night out. Like, I didn't even know, like, I didn't even connect what the movie was going to be about. And we we sat down in the theater and the movie started. And I felt like I was just like, I, I was just enchanted. And clearly that wasn't even like actually Freddie or the the full, you know, story of everything, but it was a gateway. And I was just so enamored with this story, with this person. I had never, of course, I grew up in this country. So, and I mean, um, I know they're, they're British, but I feel like everywhere we went like to baseball games, you hear queen music in the background of that you hear it in the background of like every movie. And so I feel like it was like this backdrop that I had never paid attention to in a way. And so the movie was like this chance to zoom in on um, the music and like what their place was in music history. And it just, I cannot even, whether people like the movie or not, for me personally, it just touched me on this deep, deep level. And I went away changed and I went on this really, I don't know what, it was like this deep dive for like a year of I read every uh, Freddie Mercury biography I could find. And I was what I like went on these like deep YouTube rabbit holes of like trying to find new interviews with him. I really just was like wanted, I felt like I could just not get close enough to him. And like, I just needed to know who this person was and like, like, I just was so fascinated by him and um, basically like built a shrine to him to my house. I have like this bookshelf that's like all Freddie books and like, (laughs) you know, everything I I, I went, we, I mean, um, they did like a tour, uh, a Rhapsody tour over the summer last year. And I, which was probably like the last really fun thing I did before all of this. And um, me and my husband went to, went to one of the concerts in, um, I think it was in, Massachusetts yeah and um that was really amazing and they you know I think Adam's also really amazing and the way he yeah. like pays this homage to Freddie and they do this whole cool thing where like they have this like almost like holographic Freddie come out and sing a song with Brian when they do love of my life and it's like so amazing um <laughs> so anyway that was it was like this thing where I'm like I don't know why I'm um what's going on with this but I just needed to spend time in that and then I had also written this short story a while back that was with some of these same characters and it and it hadn't fully worked as a short story and it was almost like it was waiting for the Freddy piece to come in and once I had that it was like I it became a novella in my head and um then 
you know, what the, the really close best friendship in there is based on kind of loosely, like not quite exactly, but I, I grew up in a super, um, really intense religious environment. When I was really young, we were in a, uh, religious cult and then we got out and then my parents still kind of like stayed in the, in the, um, the Christian, yeah, like religion, but it, it, so it wasn't technically a cult anymore, but it was still very, um, strict and, uh, fundamentalist. And, my my best friend like we were homeschooled it was all of that stuff so and then my best friend um I met her in a homeschool co-op and we were in this it was like this very weird thing where we both like she she was like this kind of like wannabe punk and um I kind of loved her style but then she was like she had been pulled out of public school because she was getting into trouble which was like pretty mild for for probably right you know what people would really consider to be trouble but because we were christians it was like oh she's so terrible and so they homeschooled her and took her out of school and that's how we met and so throughout our whole friendship we had this like you know push pull of you know wanting to like be cool and like do cool stuff but then this environment we were in was like you know it, it pushed back against that. And so we, there was this conflict with, with us and within our friendship and within ourselves as people. And I've always, I mean, I feel like anything I write about, it comes out in some way, but this is probably the most blatant thing I've ever written about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that's kind of like how it, how it all started. And her, her family was uh, musical and very into music. And so her dad actually showed us, if it wasn't this documentary, it was one that was, uh, I mean, I say documentary, it wasn't really a documentary, but it was about how the devil had infiltrated rock music. And so I watched that when I was about 15 years old. And we went on this whole thing where we tried to find symbols of the devil in the artwork on our CDs. And we would have CD smashing parties. And it wasn't that I actually, like, thought that. But it was just kind of this fun mission to find demonic symbols mm. in our music. And, um, yeah, so I feel like as I've gotten older uh, and I am, like, very divorced from that ideology in any way whatsoever... Uh, I also feel like it, I am still reckon, um, uh, reckoning, I guess, with how it affected me and, you know, how how I was kind of always, like, ostracized for not seeing things the way I was, quote-unquote, supposed to. And then I think a big part of why I resonated with Freddie's story, particularly with the way it was shown in the film, was just that it was this this kind of character who just, like, lived their truth um even though it didn't really fit with what was expected of them and so it all just once I had the Freddy piece I feel like it all it it made the rest of the story um come together for me I can really I can really see that I think that was really effective the way that because I, I had listened to you um on this is horror kind of talk about some of some of your upbringing. And so I figured when I was reading, you know, how involved the main character is with, with uh, queen and with all that, I was like, 
probably didn't experience it at that time. Um, but I feel like it, it just really weaves in so well with the coming of age narrative of it, which I think was just, I have never seen it done in, uh, I've never seen coming of age done in quite this fashion where it addresses this sort of religious divide. And I thought that was extremely effective and very just poignant among the girls. Thank you. It's, it's, um, yeah, I, I definitely did not grow up listening to Queen. I, I, I listened to like, <laughs> this doesn't sound so mean, but like bootleg Christian versions of, <laughs> of like all the bands I wanted to be listening to, but it was the only ones. Um, and I, I would so wanted to, I mean, I would go to these concerts, but it was, it was like Christian rock concerts, which are a very kind of like bizarre phenomenon. Cause it's, I don't, I don't know. It's like they're, they're headbanging and singing about Jesus. And it's like so weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, Hey, if that's, if that's your thing, that's fine. But, um, but yeah, it just, it's like, it was in a weird way. It was wish fulfillment writing this book. I was like, I really wanted to be that teen so bad who, and I, and I would kind of like, you know, I would like stay up listening to the radio and, um, I don't know if people will know what this is, but I had a tape recorder and and I would record <laughs> cassette tapes from the radio. I'd like push record whenever songs oh, I wanted yeah. to hear came yeah. on. And yeah. and that was kind of my own my only like introduction to secular quote unquote music. Um but because I didn't go to public school. So I didn't even have like public school friends to show me the music. So I was kind of floundering. Um and and really wanted to be this kind of teenager I just it just didn't really it it wasn't there for me at that time um but but yeah (laughs) (laughs) I don't know man that whole you know when I was with my first wife who was very religious um I tried to get into the religious thing with her a bit um God and I are not friends as it turns out but uh, she listened to this weird ass music like Striper and shit like that. Yeah. Like, uh, dude, I don't know, man. If you change Jesus to Satan, this might work for me. But <laughs> <laughs> this, shit, this metal just ain't doing it, bro. <laughs> you know, POD originally started off as a Christian metal yeah. band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was like the hardest music I listened to. I was like, yeah, this is so cool. And they're like really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think I think they eventually went um, mainstream, but I didn't really follow them that much. But mm-hmm. but uh, there were a couple of bands that started off as Christian bands, like Switchfoot started off as a Christian band and then went mainstream. Um but yeah, it's a very bizarre world, and uh, that's actually I think in 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 turn like and you know I appreciate and love every single person who reads and reviews whether they like it or don't like it. Um, but I think that's been like the most common comment or or challenge with the book is is uh, uh, people feeling that it's anti-religious and. Um, yeah, so that's a, that's an interesting thing. I, I, it's it's hard because it's like, you know, how do you explain that? Because I fully one hundred percent support like 
be whatever religion you want, like believe whatever you want and, you know, have all of that. But what I wanted to talk about and reckon with was how it felt to be a person who didn't align with something that was that they were being told they had to or they were a bad person and and to kind of like walk that line because you know I spent like such a good part of my life feeling like well you know up you know really up until my early to kind of mid-20s I thought because like I really just could never get in line as a Christian. I just never could. It didn't make sense to me. I had issues with the whole thing. I was, I found like, I was like all these inconsistencies. I would hear, you know, from things I was being told, but then I would hear, read something in the Bible and be like, well, that doesn't make sense. What does that mean? And nobody had satisfactory answers. And so when I really left the religion, I thought, well, I can't be a Christian, so I'm going to hell. Like, I really thought that, okay, I just can't do this, so I'm going to go to hell. But that's, I, I don't really have a choice because I can't do this. So to to really, like, explain how it feels to, to have, you know, to have that, like, drilled into you that if you don't, if you mm-hmm. can't live this way or if you don't see things this way, you know, I mean, and the way that hell is taught is, like, so terrifying. That is. Yeah. And I just thought, well, I guess that's where I have to go because I can't see things this way. And and I tried for a long time, and then it eventually – it's been a meandering path for me where I, I was, like, atheist for a while and then agnostic, and now I'm, I'm kind of – I'm not – I don't believe in any kind of um, – uh, personal or like any kind of personal entities. I, I think that there's like something that like connects us or um, some sort of energetic thing, but I don't think it's conscious <clears throat> or like cares what we do, <laughs> you know, <Right>. or like, <laughs> I think it's like what, whatever that thing is that makes us be alive I think that is what we could maybe call God, but I don't think yeah. God is an a, an entity who is like judging us or you know basically an abuser. But that's a whole <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I, uh, it's... Oh, sorry. Go I, ahead, Shane. I was just gonna say I I fully agree. I think it's life force, if anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's why I'm so such a nature freak when it comes to that because that's where you can actually look at God and and see God in action, you know. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was all Laurel, sorry. No, you're <laughs> you're good. I was I mean I was mostly just gonna say I feel like, you know, again it came across really well in um in Hell's Bells that a big part of the problem uh was was the lack of questioning. You know, like you were just saying it's like you, you see an inconsistency or something that doesn't seem right to you and you ask the question. And not only is that not encouraged, but you're, you know, you're made to feel like, again, just being told all the time that faith is the answer. It, I mean, that I feel like turns more people off of religion than, cause I, because I, you know, I can't help but like kind of compare it to the church that I grew up in was, which was very like, I mean, when I did my confirmation like that, I, you know, go up before the board of elders and they're like asking me these questions, you know, do you believe this? I'm like, not really. That doesn't make sense. And they're like, okay, cool. You know, and we just, (laughs) I mean, we just chatted about it and it was very like, 
you know, just open-minded and very like, so I feel like if you are like boxed into those, like you said, where it's, it's one or the other, it's binary. You either believe this thing that you can't even make yourself believe because it doesn't make sense or you go to hell. And I mean, that, that is, especially for young people, that's such a, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's such a hard thing to put on them because, I mean, because you're threatening them with something that is, I mean, that is unknowably awful, but, but it doesn't, I mean, that doesn't invite, it just doesn't invite, I don't know, trust, I guess, yeah. <laughs> or mm-hmm. anything like that. And it's just, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's kind of horrifying. Um, and that's the, that's the thing there you hit on the head is that horrifying aspect that fucking how irresponsible is it to teach a child shit like that yeah yeah and you know it's when you guys were talking about that it made me think of you know my own experiences you know i pretty much was kind of guided into going to church from you know relatives from an early age and going through there but one thing that even sticks to me sticks with me to this day you know it was like 16 years ago was the fact that, you know, one of the pastors or whatever, it was like some youth thing that they were doing. And he's like, oh, what kind of music do you listen to? And, you know, I listed off a couple of um, <laughs> like secular bands, right? And he was like, oh, well, you should listen to this band. They're kind of like that band. This band, they're kind of like that band. And I'm like, yeah, but I already listened to this band. I, I, I like that. <laughs> and I'll never forget that he pretty much looked at me and was like, you know what they say, garbage in, garbage out. Like basically saying like, if you that, like <laughs> you're a garbage person. No. <laughs> so, so irresponsible. Oh no shit. God. No yeah, shit. So I definitely know like, and that's like, you know, reading some of the things like I didn't take hell's bells as like anti-religion, but you know, just kind of more of, you know, finding like what you personally believe in if anything yeah exactly and also just that that like friction between like what happens when other people try to encroach on what's real for you you know Mm -hmm. or or tell or tell you that what's real for you isn't real and yeah it's all it's always been something that I've wrestled with and you know, had to kind of deal with. And, and, you know, I feel like um, it it was something that I feel like I was quite, I was quiet about for a lot of my life, because in my family, if I, if I spoke out against it, or if I said how, how I didn't agree, or if I um, challenged any of it, it was always met with like, an immediate shutdown or they would, you know, I would get like this Bible verse pulled out and I, and I, at the time really didn't have an enough external knowledge to understand why it didn't feel true to me. I just knew that it didn't. And so I didn't feel confident in even debating because it was like, I would just get all these Bible verses thrown at me and I'm like, well, I don't know how to refute that. I just know it doesn't feel true to me. And, and that's not really a good way to argue with people. It's to say, well, it just doesn't, you know? And so I felt like, you know, if I'm telling a story, I, and, and this is the story is my space, right? It's like, I, I'm going to say what is true for me 
for mm-hmm. once, you know, and and it and and it might be, make people uncomfortable, and I, and I really I'm okay with that, and um and and it's more just like that's sometimes I think we have to be made uncomfortable to kind of look at look at things, and yeah, I don't know if that see other people's perspectives, yeah. Well, I think it's what really kind of came across, I feel like I, I heard, and I mean, I know I've heard this advice from multiple, you know, sources, but it's like, write what you're scared to write, you know, write what, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, like, whether you fear that when you write it, you know, people that you love or something from your past is going to come back to bite you or, you know, it's going to be something like that. But it's like, I have I mean, when I've taken that advice, that has been the most effective stuff that I've written. And it's like, I mean, just, I feel like it would be... I, I just feel like it 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 was almost probably necessary for you to tackle that story. And and I I mean I just I I really appreciate the way that it was put together. I I I didn't take it at all as anti-religion. I mean, I know what you're talking about. Like I've seen and I think that's one of those things where if people are like, you know, if they just can't deal with that as a subject, it's like anything else, you know, right. they don't they don't want to see it addressed. So that's you know, that's that's totally valid, fine. but it's yeah, <laughs> it's valid, but it's also not, you know, I mean, it's not really the message of the story. Cause to me, that almost seems a little bit like, well, I wrote crossroads, but I'm definitely not pro car wreck. You know, right. it just, uh, <laughs> it happened. So I don't know. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And I think that, um, yeah, sorry, I lost my, tra- <laughs> it's a, such a good comment. You just had, I just forgot my train of thought. <laughs> I'm oh, right. What you're scared wreck. of? I'm or- not, no, oh. I'm not pro car wreck. <laughs> definitely against this yeah uh what was the last thing you said right before that sorry I, I lost. about right what you're right what you're scared of or what you need to like work through or yeah I had a comment sorry um no you're good I'm surprised you're awake you were you I were know up at five, <laughs> you're up at 5 30 this morning <laughs> I'm sure it'll come back to me it's fine um yeah it I just, yeah, I just think that if, I just think I ha- I had to write something that was honest, you know, and, and like you, like you said, it, it did in some ways scare me because it's like, uh, you know, this is really what I think or, or, you know, I don't want people to like, but I feel like when, when you do that, when you kind of like through, when I throw caution to the wind, that's always when it's the most potent and people are like, oh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I even when I wrote it, I had to, I reckoned with the fact that I was like this once it was all out cuz it really just it just came out and I was like this is the story. This is what it wants to be and I had to sit with that and just kind of be like this is going to rub some people the wrong way and that's okay. And 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 I'm not mad about it, you know? Like <laughs> it 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 just is necessary for me to say it and to share it and and to put it out there and the other thing is I don't want to I don't really want to write stories that make people like oh I'm so cozy in this bath while I'm you know like (laughs) (laughs) this story bath like I want I'm okay with it with it making people feel a little weird and you know, maybe that'll plant a seed or maybe, maybe not. And that's okay. I just, I would rather write something that people feel strongly about <laughs> in one way or another. 
And also after I read Joe Hill's horns, um, and like I read some of the comments like that he got on it, which I'm not comparing this to that, but like he has like some very blasphemous things in there as well. Um, I I was like, man, I really want to write a book that a church would ban. Like I really <laughs> I was like that would be like my dream. <laughs> so that was that was one thing. And I was also thinking, like when I when I started to realize they were they were going to try to summon the devil, I I don't think this is too spoilery, but I I was like I can't I can't see myself writing a book where that's where it's just straightforward and then like you know what I mean like 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 Grady Hendrix says my best friend's exorcism how I don't know if you've read that one have mm-hmm. have you yeah 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 how the way they get rid of the demon isn't just by calling the priest and spraying the holy water and like all this, like they try that and it doesn't work. So then what next? Right. So Mm -hmm. I, I was really thinking, I thought about that book a lot when I was writing this one and I actually had his ending open. Like at the end, I was like rereading his ending, not to (laughs) sound so Mm -hmm. bad, but not to copy it because I, but I wanted to like have that feeling of like, okay, well, what happens when all the stuff you expected um, isn't what it is? And so I was like, okay, if I'm right, if Lisa Quigley is writing a story where they summon the devil, well, I actually am not afraid of the devil. And I actually love the devil as a character. <laughs> so <laughs> what's what's going to happen in that story? It's not going to be like, oh, the devil, or, like, I want it to be like something, what would happen if, the devil showed up and that wasn't the worst thing that happened to them that day, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And, and, and then that was like how I kind of like was able to work through what happens next. Um, But, but yeah, it was, it was just like, I just can't see myself writing the same, that same, that trope in the same way because I, I love Lucifer. I think Lucifer is like the coolest character, one of the coolest characters in literature and mythology. So I can't, I can't, I can't do him dirty. (laughs) (laughs) But I couldn't have, I was like, I can't have Lucifer be the the scary one. So not that, well, I don't know. That's probably a spoiler, but it's been out since May. (laughs) It's short. Go read it. Uh, but, yeah, that was kind of interesting what you said, Lisa, about how, um, you know, looking at the ending of Grady's book and, you know, just to, like, kind of see about um, capturing the feeling. And I was just wondering, you know, um, especially with, you know, doing Ladies of the Fright and things like that, um, like, I know when we have guests on, like, we always learn so much and, like, get little bits and pieces of advice here and there that like every once in a while it'll like really resonate with us. And then we try and incorporate in our writing. And I was wondering if you had a lot of moments like that, um, you know, kind of similar to the Grady thing where you've had like a guest on the show and they've kind of talked a little bit about, you know, things that work for them or inspire them. And then, you know, it kind of worked for you too. I, I, it's so funny. I just did like a written interview where someone asked 
not that question, but just like what was the most impactful? And I was just like, mm. honestly, like, like almost every single conversation is impactful and and not even really because of anything any individual person says, but I think because I think our our creative processes are so unique to us and we all have a different way that we work and engage with our creativity. And but I think the common thread and the and the thing that is most inspiring is that every single person that we've talked to, you know, and every single person that we're having on is obviously has has some degree of success. They have a book, they have, you know, whatever they're 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 succeeding in their craft. Every the, like the common thread that I've noticed is just that whatever advice they may give or however they may work, they have a an excitement about their their craft and a a dedication and a discipline. So even if that discipline looks different, it, it is still this act of like you have to you have to do it. You have to do it. And that might mean like for me, I had to take, you know, that was something I had to really wrestle with is hearing everybody say like, oh, you know, you have to write every single day. And and then I spent almost the entire year of 2020 until November not writing. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, am I being lazy? Am I not? Am I not a writer? anymore? like, what is this? What is happening? And then just, you know, realizing, like, how to separate that out from, like, what's my process? Because I tend to be a very cyclical writer where I need after a big project, I need time to kind of like let the seeds grow again. And then the story will come and then I, I work in like these great bursts and get it out. And, and, but I've done enough of that to know that that's how my process works and I can trust it. And I'm not just being lazy, (laughs) you know, um, I think that hearing people talk over and over, you know, hearing, hearing like, I don't know, Josh Mallerman say that like his, his writing on the days where he didn't feel like it or his writing on the days where he did feel like it, he couldn't tell a difference. So, mm. you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, or hearing, like, one thing Grady Hendrix said one time was, uh, and actually, this was on the podcast, but we actually went to, he did a class at a StokerCon once that was about honesty in writing, and and then we asked him to talk about it a little bit on the podcast. And when he talked about, like writing is about being honest and 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 he gave these like silly examples like um like that we've all heard like her flowing mane of hair or like her um his uh i don't know what whatever we hear these descriptions that we might go to naturally when we're writing right cuz we're writing the r- rough draft and we're just trying to get it out And we might, like, go, it's almost, it's descriptions that are used so commonly um, that they become cliche. So Grady talked about, like, getting honest. And what he meant by that was, like, not just what we talked about, like, telling our honest story, but, like, when you're trying to describe a flowing mane of hair, like, can you zoom in? What would you, that, like, what would me, Lisa, 
see if I zoomed in on that flowing mane of hair. And it might be something super embarrassing. And that was his big thing. He's like, write the stuff that you would be, like, super embarrassed for people to know, (laughs) you know, that (laughs) you thought in your head. And that's the stuff. He's like, that's the stuff that, like, makes your writing good, like, different. Because you're not just writing about a flowing mane or, like, rolling waves or, like, all these descriptions we've heard a million times. And so that's something that always stood out is, like, you know how can I write the stuff that I would be embarrassed for people to know is in my head? And then that's actually the stuff that that's actually the gold, right? <laughs> Cause that's actually, yeah. <laughs> it's authentic and it yeah. comes across that way. <laughs> and, and then you think about like, Oh, in my best friend's exorcism, she's got, he, and he talked about like how in high school he had really bad acne. So he had, um, you know, Abby had really bad acne and, and he's talked about this publicly. So I'm not like, you know, being like divulging something. <laughs> um, you know, and he said like that he gave Abby that acne, and he really like described it and went w- with what it was like, and that's what was able to bring this like personality into her, or like this truth into her that wasn't just, you know, what's the description you could pick up any? Like we've all heard a million times because we're all readers, right? So we we mimic at first, or we regurgitate these um tropes or cliches we've all heard and yeah so that's something that always stood out was like but yeah I think the 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 big the real answer is that like every single person we've talked to it's like there's always some kernel Mm -hmm. and then the 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 big the big theme that emerges is like however differently anyone may work or whatever inspires them uh, they the one common thing is that they show up to their craft, however that looks like. And, and, and you don't, you know, you keep doing it and you don't give up. And I mean, the only guaranteed way to fail is to not write or to not do it. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) I mean, that makes sense. And I, I do, I am really glad too, that like it's some people are kind of addressing more too, like you said, where, you know, hear you hear like you have to write every day or something. But I mean, honestly, you were anyways. You were you were journaling, you know, and pulling tarot cards and like keeping yourself engaged that way. But there's, I mean, there's also just like my gosh, things are insane, you know. <laughs> and it doesn't make anyone less of a writer. Um, I, I had a I had a hellish hellish job for two years, and I didn't write a word the whole two years. Like, I mean, it was as much as I could do to like get home and not murder people on my way. So (laughs) I didn't honestly didn't even notice that I didn't write for two years. Like I got done with it. I was like, oh, 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 that was worse than I thought. And, you know, but I mean, you're still, you know, that's still shaping your experiences. And it's, you know, you're still the same person whenever you find that headspace. And I mean, especially I feel like when you when you have a new baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I mean, just, you know, aside from the schedule of it, it's like carving your identity back out a little bit, you know, where you sort of accidentally become the same person for like a little while. And it's yeah, just I mean, finding that thing that's like just for yourself. I feel like that's always like a big like eureka moment for for new moms. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was I, when it really hit me when I had my son. That was. Cause he, cause I went from having no kids to having him and it was, 
it it it's like nothing. I mean, I just you know you can't really prepare for it. <laughs> like you can read a bunch of books and like the level of really, especially that first time identity loss in the beginning, because it was just like I went from being able to wake up and do whatever I wanted and go to work and then oh like maybe I'll lay it down and watch TV for a while you know like you just all of a sudden you have this creature who will die if you don't take care of it and like (laughs) it's like very high pressure and and also it's uh, it's just it's jar it's and uh, you know I was um let's see 32 when I had my first son so at that point I feel like I had gotten pretty set in my ways (laughs) so then it's like oh my gosh I have to learn a whole new way of being and uh it was that that was especially hard just to to claw my way out of that like I feel it was an entire year I mean I I did start some stuff so but then also when my son was eight weeks we moved from California to New Jersey uh and so I left all the people I had known for like 12 years and moved to a completely new place and so on top of that I was postpartum and like it was just a weird time and writing was I just couldn't I couldn't really write but I started that's when I started I like podcast became a lifeline I um would list I would walk in the woods with my son in a baby carrier and just listen to podcasts because I didn't have any friends here and I was postpartum and I just felt like I just didn't even know who I was and I just felt very lost so I would listen to podcasts and feel like oh these people are my friends and like they did eventually become my friends somehow (laughs) but (laughs) but um I was listening to like this is horror at the time and um yeah, it was, it was just this really weird thing in a weird way podcasts, like, saved me or made me feel, you know, kind of brought me back. So listening to people over and over, it started with listening to podcasts and listening to writers talk and say, like, the things that they had done that, you know, made them, uh, well, you know, whatever their process was. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And, and then it was actually on on one of those walks um and I was because there's just these woods like by my in-laws house because we we lived with my in-laws for a little while when we first moved here and that was when I received like I I say I received because it really felt like I received the story um I I lost my engagement ring (laughs) on a walk in the woods And, um, when I got back, I realized I had lost it and I looked up at the forest and I suddenly had a whole novel in my head. And I always believed that I like paid for that story. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask if you ever found it. (laughs) No, I never found it. We ended up replacing it, but, um, yeah, I was like, I... And that's the story that um the the that became the forest, which is going which is going to be published next or this year later this year. But um yeah, so it was it, it I feel like podcasts really really helped me and like helped me feel less alone. And 
I started to feel like, oh, these are these are my friends. <laughs> it's like almost like the psycho. I'm like talking back, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mackenzie and I started ours, and then you know, we, here we are. <laughs> I don't even know what question started that. Sorry, I just kind of started rambling. Um, but it was like the parenthood thing, I think, and just mm-hmm. all the identity loss and and all this stuff. But in a weird way, it led me, um, to where I am now, and in. in in some ways, but yeah, it, it's a wild becoming a parent for the first time, especially just, it, w- it was a lot easier the second time because I was so afraid. I was like, oh my God, am I, am I in for another year of not knowing who I am? But I think your first child breaks you <laughs> and you're just like, I'm already, I, like, I've already been in it. So <laughs> um, it didn't feel as intense the second time, I think, because we kind of had some idea I think the first time you just you have no idea you don't know what you really have no way of knowing what's coming. Right, it's kind of like the kind of like the book What to Expect When You're Expecting and nothing is like what you're supposed to. No. (laughs) (laughs) The plans I made for my 12 week maternity leave are so laughable. Oh. Like the fact that I made plans at all, the fact that I thought anything was going to happen is just hilarious. Yeah. No oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, 12 weeks off. I've never had 12 weeks off in my life. This is going to be amazing. I'm going to write so many things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bought a 60-day ridiculous exercise program. Because I legit thought I was going to take four weeks to recover from my ridiculous C-section, right? And then I was going to hop on this really intense, you know, high-intensity interval training. Because And then, I, then I'd be super skinny by the time I went back to work. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how it works. Come on. Absolutely. Like. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that was, yeah, that was the other thing with this one. My daughter was uh, – my son was um, – a vaginal birth and then my daughter uh was we you know I was like oh coasting like oh figuring everything was gonna go how it went and then uh like oh two weeks before her due date we found out she was breech and yeah and then we tried they tried I went to the hospital they tried to manually turn her which is as horrific as it sounds Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and it did not work um, so we had a C-section with her. And so that was a whole other level of recovery. I was like, oh, my God, this is this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't imagine my my son um, with my first wife uh, was breech and they actually successfully turned him. Oh. Um, and I just would not wish that on anybody. Did, you do, the, did they do the procedure with the where they you from the outside they tried to turn him yes oh yeah it was oh my god it was and they tried three times mm. oh god. yeah <laughs> but she kept popping back up and i think oh. she had been there for like months because yeah i had such severe pain in my ribs and um yeah, he tried three times, and he would get her, like, halfway down, and her head would pop back up. And and for people listening, this is, they're literally on the outside of your belly holding the baby from mm-hmm. the outside. Yep. They're holding the baby's butt and the baby's head and manually turning the baby. Now, mind you, if you're turning a baby from the outside, that means they are really, like, pinching your your uh, skin <laughs> uh, yeah. it was well, crazy 
crazy. I was like, okay. Uh, this Especially is- if for anybody who's ever felt a pregnant woman's belly and knows exactly how solid and tight that fucking thing is. Uh, that's uh, agonizing to have oh. that done to you. It was, it was a while. And then it didn't work. So we were like, I was like, uh, okay, this is, but it, I mean, in a weird way, it was with the second one. It was fine. It was it was weirdly nice because we got to schedule it. Yeah. <laughs> we got to like plan for when the grandparents were gonna come stay with him, and but you know it was all unexpected, and and the recovery of that is uh, it, mm. it is something else, man, mm-hmm. man. I recently so since this is a horror podcast, I can talk about this here. I recently saw this. Um, thing that said that back in like like before modern medicine they invented this is so nuts did you watch do you guys do you know why chainsaws were invented oh my god it's no. related like what yeah. <laughs> that was <laughs> my first thought man what a great lead in lisa please continue chainsaws were invented for childbirth because if the baby got stuck, they would they they used to like use a knife to cut part of your pelvic bone to like get the baby out. Oh my and god! And so they invented this like hand pulley chainsaw so it would be less painful. <laughs> Was anyone planning on putting these women back together? Or you fucked it up. I mean, I don't think if they're oh my. God. God, like, are you? You're just a. You're kind of a disassembled Lego person at that point. No, I, I sent Mackenzie this the screenshot of this when I was reading this article, and she goes, she goes, oh yeah, of course. She goes, they were dude doctors. She goes, the men were like, oh yeah, it's like a tunnel, just make it bigger. <laughs> oh my God. How fucking horrible. It's fine. Just make it a little bigger. It'll get through. It's fine. No big deal. And then meanwhile, the woman. Like, ah. Right. I don't have a pelvis now. It's, it's just a flesh wound. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, I'm very great. You know, very grateful yeah. for how far we've come. No. Thank yeah. God for medicine. I have strong medication. You know, they're. Yeah. So that's yeah. a that's that's how the first chainsaws. We're invented. That was for childbirth. There's your your episode title right there. I'm sorry, Lisa. That's what we're going with. (laughs) Chainsaw childbirth. Chainsaw. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, look, it's a healthy baby boy. And oh, by the way, we had to remove your leg to get him out. (laughs) It's fine, though. It'll grow back, probably. Yeah, probably. I don't know. We tried it before. They just regenerate, right? You know, that is the thing. That's how you can tell that why even to this day they say they practice medicine. (laughs) (laughs) Medicine was originally a dude's profession, you know, so they structured everything. So, of course, they're just fucking practicing because they never know what to fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Let's try this. This probably sounds good. Like, yeah. (laughs) I know. Let's bleed them. Bleed them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was watching this. Um, it's like I think it's called like Life Beyond Death or something. I don't know. It's it's like a documentary series on Netflix right now, and it's pretty good. It's like about like uh, 
uh, near-death experiences. What's it but called? It's I, oh, I'll have to. Oh, that yeah. would be useful, wouldn't it? I think it's called, I think it's called like <laughs> Life Beyond Death. I'll have to look it up. Um, it's fairly new on there. Um, but it's it's really good. But like I did about like throw something in the screen because there was a woman who was talking about. Um, she not only had a near death experience while she was giving birth, but she had premonitions of it, like the whole like last half of her pregnancy. She like saw blood coming from a fountain. She was like, I'm going to die. Like, this is exactly what's going to happen. And it, you know, it did, except that they were able to bring her back. And then they go to the husband and they're like, uh, so what were you thinking this whole time? Motherfucker, straight <laughs> off, knowing this has already happened, has the nerve to say, well, I thought it was just, you know, your typical pregnancy hysteria. I mean, <laughs> my <laughs> husband ducked. Like, he's not the one who said it, but he ducked. Because I was like, oh, my dear God. <laughs> so wow. you, got, like, you know, these guys cranking up the chainsaws. You hysterical bitch. Calm <laughs> <laughs> down. You're so emotional. Like, we used to use a knife, okay? Like, this is so much better. It's like it's like round. It'll just go right through. <laughs> You don't know. <laughs> it's taking everything in me not to do the sound effects right now. I'm just going to. We'll get kicked off all the platforms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anchor says we have revoked your memory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it takes a lot to piss us off, but you did. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> Oh, uh, Heist is always breaking barriers. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll have to find the the article and send it to you. So you. <laughs> I, I, honestly, like the perspective on that is probably the first thing that's made me feel better about it. Right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like oh my oh, God, it could have been so much worse. Yeah, like I got to be numb. So. <laughs> yeah. And that's well, the thing. This is, before, this is before, like, Drugs that will make you feel numb. They're probably like, here, just like chew on this. Here's right. a rag with whiskey on it and like bite it. Like, you'll be fine. Nah, she's a woman. Don't give her any whiskey. Give her some laudanum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what? Oh, God. Uh, so, um, just because I really want to make sure we talk about this, um, just because I'm a fanatic about it myself, uh, we've mentioned tarot several times now. Um, and there was a minute I stepped away, so if you guys already talked about this, I apologize, but I like <laughs> Arrow. No, we didn't talk about it, so yeah, Good. please proceed. Good. So, I know you've been practicing for quite a while, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, and by the sounds of it, when I watch, listen to, or listen to you, you know, I listen to you on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, it sounds like you, uh, are a little bit more intensive with it than I am. I'm just, it's just kind of my meditational tool and that's strictly it with me for the most part. But, um, and also, you know, a thing that I collect avidly just because I need more shit all the time. But, uh, what got you into that and what how do you use it i know you've talked about using it for journaling which i think is a great idea um but uh sorry i lost my train of thought 
So what? I uh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you're good. That's... Oh yeah, uh, I didn't know if you had more. I didn't want to. Um, I don't so, either. So, I I would say like maybe about ten years ago, I got my first deck, and it's been the, so. I mean, when I left uh, officially religion, so I I I already talked about how I um. You know, I, I kind of like guiltily left Christianity and thought like, I kind of, I kind of believed like, oh, you know, Christianity is still, and none of this is to, I really just want to be clear that I'm not like bagging on that as anyone's personal religion. Like that's totally amazing if that's what people believe. But for me, it just wasn't. And when I left, (laughs) so you're good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when I when I left, it was like uh, I initially. I mean, when I moved away from home when I was 18, and uh, and then for like a couple years after that, it was like I'm kind of like I felt like I was like a prodigal child, you know, like I was I was like going away for a while, and then would have to eventually come back when I was ready to right. be done. Uh, sowing my wild oats or whatever, right. like after whenever you I was your talents. Yeah, whenever I was done, like, you know, smoking weed or, like, drinking, like, doing these horrible, how horrible, like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I really always, like, at that time, I still had the framework of Christianity, like, in my head and thought, like, I'm stepping away because I, I can't, I can't follow it, but eventually I'm going to have to go back because I don't want to go to hell. And so that was like a couple years process. And then I would say it was really, there was a point in my early 20s where I thought, I was like, oh, I'm a Christian again. And it, and it was just this very weird thing that it was just, it was just still the guilt, the, the, the guilt that had been instilled and really the terror because I was like terrified that I was going to die and burn forever. And um, I mean, literally they, like burn for eternity that sounds horrible (laughs) um and (laughs) so I just I just for a long time I thought that and then it wasn't until it was like around I don't know my I would say my mid-20s where I which is weirdly when you're um when you're 25 is I think it's when your brain finishes developing (laughs) all the way and um I just really hit this point where I was like I I know I'm not going back and I know I'm okay. And and I and I really just felt that. I was like I'm okay. I'm not I'm not going to go to hell. And I kind of entered this new phase of curiosity and a big part of um a big part of that was a big part of my being able to move out of that terror of hell and like feeling like Christianity was the only framework was I had started reading more. Um and I had started reading about Eastern religions, which I think is like a pop, you know, at the time was like a popular thing to do. And um, I, when I started reading these other mythologies, it's really mind blowing. If you've grown up in a, in a, in a home that only taught you one mythology, and then you start reading other mythologies and you begin to realize, I began to realize that there are so many connections 
Mm -hmm. and uh, similarities between different mythologies. And then I was in college for, I I was getting an English degree and I took mythology courses. And I, so I studied a bunch of different mythologies side by side. And it just like, it just became, it's like I, it's like a veil lifted. And I saw that there these were all these stories were trying to say the same thing and and um and I also started reading Joseph Campbell a lot around that time uh who I think is amazing but also has like some problems cuz he was like a little bit uh misogynist and uh he didn't believe in the heroine's journey only the hero's journey but that's yeah. a whole other thing <laughs> but still I think his work is very important because he showed these parallels between um, all these different world mythologies. And one thing that he said that really hit me was when he said, when you read religion as um, poetry, he said you should read religion religion and myth as poetry, not prose. And it just hit me. I was like, it's the, it's the, the like echo of truth in all of these texts that are the same. And, and all the, all the details are not really that important. So um, I started really like being curious and there was this shop, this shop by where I lived uh, that was in walking distance. It was called the Controversial Bookstore and it was like a new age books bookshop. I don't know exactly why that was the what it was called, but um, that's where I went and bought my first tarot deck. And I had no idea what it was talking about because when you get your first tarot deck, and you think, like, this is going to be so cool. And then you, like, pull a card. And I'm like, I have no idea what this means. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would try to read it. And I'm like, I don't get it. And it would, like, try to. But what I think with tarot, it's something that is, like, a, really just, like, a in a way, it could be a lifelong thing. Of, yeah. Of, and I just, and I've always been drawn to tarot decks. And so I just kept getting them, even though I didn't understand it. And I kept, like, pulling them out and doing reads, even though I didn't really get it. And then, weirdly, like, slowly, I would read, like, this book, and one thing would click. And I would read another book, and something would click. And then, um, it's, I mean, that and that was, like, 10 years ago. And it's been this 10-year, and then I'm like you, I want to collect them, because I always see new ones I'm, and people are especially now like making these amazing indie decks that are just so cool and did you want to say something I, no no i just was agreeing with you there <laughs> totally it, to me it's a collector kind of thing like i just like to collect them i and they're so they're so cool and it's so cool to see how and especially as i've started to understand the archetypes and the stories within the tarot like to see how different people interpret the art and mm. how how different people's interpretation helps me understand the stories better. And um, so that's that was that. And then, like, before 2020 happened, I really was, like, I've been flirting with the tarot for, like, almost 10 years. I, I, I always, like, doubt myself when I read. And I was, like, I don't want to do that anymore. So a big thing with 2020 was like, I just want to like really like say like, I'm going to commit myself to, to really like trusting myself with this. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of made this, um, like 
like I just decided to stop to throw out the guidebook and to pull the cards and and try to figure out what this what the pictures said to me, and then it weirdly turned out that 2020 was this wild year and a year where I was also home a lot and so I was I started like pulling a card every day and journaling about it and I just was like I'm not gonna look at the guidebook anymore I'm gonna pull a card and if it if I don't know what it means I'm gonna be okay with feeling uncomfortable with that but I'm going to look at it and ask myself what it means and I started doing that and then I have been um I took a tarot course with this woman named Lindsay Mack, who is incredible, mm-hmm. but sure. But her whole thing with the tarot is like helping you, um, like really throwing out everything you think you know about tarot and really you're your own, like becoming your own authority on it. And, uh, she has her own way of looking at it. That is, ex- and I really appreciate her way because it's, um, she, she, looks at things that are like harmful definitions or definitions that are based in a gender binary or that are exclusionary or that were based in patriarchy or misogyny or all these things and really just revolutionizing like how the tarot is interpreted and then not even saying like you have to read how I read but like this is how I think now like this could right. land with you or not and it just I just like got super into it in, in 20 I've always I've been into it for 20 for 10 years but like in 2020 I had the time to really like go there and then that was a big part of how I worked through my creative challenges last year and in the process of doing that I I kind of discovered a way of reading that helped me with my creative process and that I've started reading for other creatives who want some clarity on their creative process as well. So I've started doing specifically tarot for creativity readings. Um, Yeah. And, and it's been really cool to, to do that. So anyway, that was like a lot of talking. No, that's fine. (laughs) My, one of my favorite subjects. um, And it's kind of bizarre too, because it's like, I've been, I've been, you know, reading for myself for decades now, I think two, two and a half. Um, But just a few years back, literally, I started recognizing my own, you know, what I call my own symbolism in the cards. Um, And one of the main things that if someone says they want to read and they want to know something about it, one of the main things I always tell people is read through that LWB one time and then throw that little bitch away because it's not do you any favors. Little white book. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And a lot of them are just really... Uh, you know, eh. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and there's, uh, you know, what, when you're throwing that book away too, you're throwing out those misogynistic elements in a lot of the translations, and you know, especially when you're dealing with. And I'm going too far into this subject, and I'll stop. But with like <laughs> versions of Rider weight decks have a tendency to have some questionable interpretations as does the Crowley Toth deck. Oh yeah. And it, and it gets very like a lot of the definite, and a lot of them are like, I think of it as very trauma informed in the way I think of it is that like, you can't just tell somebody you're going to lose everything tomorrow. Like, like that's not helpful <laughs> to anyone, yeah. you know, and it's also probably not true and it's not yeah. responsible, you know? So, uh, 
yeah, you I know, get pissed what, what, what could be the meaning behind a card that you think could mean that? Like, so that's been a really cool, cool thing I've been doing this year. It's just like throwing out everything I thought I knew. I mean, like I'm informed by what I've learned over the past 10 years, but yeah, I'm also yeah. like there different cards mean different things to me because especially with pulling one every day and seeing how that card was like in my life that day and realizing like, Oh, that opens up a new meaning of this card for me Mm -hmm. because you know, so it's just this really amazing. And I think as a storyteller, uh, it, it is this way of like bringing story and, and, meaning to your to what you're doing and in even if you don't think of it as like oh it's actually like predicting anything i don't even really think of it that way i think of it as like what's here right now and how can this card help me process something that's happening to me in this moment and doing that has really helped me um just process a lot of what happened last year is just having this way of like storytelling around it uh and and these archetypes are universal you know they're 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 universal archetypes of our lives basically and really any card you pull will be applicable to something happening in your life and so learning how to um just draw those connections and be reflective in that way i find it to be a really healing practice i agree um wholeheartedly with that and um you know, I mean, yeah, the irresponsibility factor you mentioned, I'll just touch this briefly because we're, <laughs> we're running a little bit late. Um, like like I've talked about with other people, the death card is a primary example of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, you watch some of these shows like Hellier and things like that, and Chick pulls the death card and says, oh, my God, that's not good. Like yeah. About, it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually one of the best cards you can pull. <laughs> exactly. In my go-to deck, the image on the death card is a pregnant woman. So you know, nice. read that when you what you will. But I think it's the accurate image. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. To be fair, on Hellier, they got really excited because they had a 49-minute conversation with somebody. So I'm still trying yeah. to process that. <laughs> I, I think their standards are low, maybe. Right. So, but but that guy is forty nine years old, and we've been to Taco Bell forty nine times this year. Right. Fucking synchronicity. I've got goosebumps, guys. Okay, There's a a part a scene in um Schitt's Creek where I don't know if you watched that, but um one of the characters reads tarot cards for people and it, and she basically like tells them like if she goes on, if they go on this trip, they're going to die. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. But it's really, it's funny in the context of the show, but yeah, it's like. <laughs> uh, hilarious. So I had a friend who wouldn't let, who was a bartender and he wouldn't let me and my friend Roger even bring our cards into his bar when he was working because he, was fucking terrified of them. There's so much, um, just, yeah, that, like, this, like, fear. Like, I have a friend who's really Catholic, and she, it was only, like, the last year that she became okay with, like, having her tarot cards read, because she talked to her, she said she had a long conversation, and one of my best friends in the world, um, she said, yeah, she said she talked to her priest, and, and he explained, like, you know, that it was okay and that it was like a way to process stuff. And it was, uh, 
yeah, so it was, like, really cool to to hear that that message is changing because it's, like, this is a really a powerful, awesome tool, and, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I would recommend it to anybody, especially creatives. Um, but uh, I am out of time. I was going to say, I'm going to turn back into a pumpkin, but I'm already a fucking orange <laughs> ball sitting in this chair right now. <laughs> so. well, um, yeah, real quick, quick before you go. So when is The yeah. Forest coming out? The Forest is coming out in October. In October. I was going to say October 2021, but we're in, yeah. we're in 2021. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, awesome. And is that, who's that coming out through? Uh, PMMP. Uh, perpetual oh, awesome. mo- yeah, perpetual yeah, yeah. motion machine. Yep. Okay, yeah. very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's exciting. I'll, I will be I'll be looking for that. I'm excited to read that. Thank you. I'm yeah. I'm excited. I'm I'm excited for that one. Um, I am too. And your novella and mm-hmm. Yeah, all of the all of the quickly. <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> the, the novella I'm hoping um there's a positive outcome with that. We'll see what happens, but yeah, either way, the the novel is gonna come out, and um, and and I think it's cool because it's it's a it's a mom story, um, and yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll be fun. Um, it sounds like it. Sounds like it's gonna be a blast, and we already know from experience from uh, Hell's Bells that um you know what you're doing and that that when the things you write are a blast so uh more 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 lisa quigley please oh thank you and thank you for having me this was a great time oh any time one of these days i want to get both you and Mackenzie on we need to do like a podcast crossover yeah yes that would be be awesome (laughs) i would love to do that um, yeah. Particularly with you guys, you guys are my favorite other podcast. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, you that know. always <laughs> means a lot because you know you you all know how it, the yeah. the work that goes into it, and so then to mm-hmm. hear that you know that people care is yeah. very. I know Will, Wilson's going to bitch me out for saying that. <laughs> 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 Oh, he'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Lisa, we do love you guys, and we will be listening to you, uh, everybody else, listening listen in to uh, Ladies of the Fright podcast, and buy Lisa's book, Hell's Bells, and tell me what the name of Mackenzie's book is, Lisa. Mackenzie's book is All You Need is Love and a Strong Electric Current. I fucking love that. That's all. I need. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right there. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Lisa. Have a good one. Yep. Have a good, good night. night. <laughs> good night. Bye.